0: NASCAR season started with a lot of rain and a lot of wrecks. Food prices are higher than they've been in 30 years. The media continues to lie. Donald Trump's shortlist for VP, that and a whole lot more on today's Random Thoughts. Hello and welcome to episode number 264 of the Random Thoughts podcast. You can spell that R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. Racing of the NASCAR variety is back. Seems like the season was just ending, and this is the only sport that I've really been following except for some hockey at the beginning of this season. Overall racing is it now that I've given up baseball and it seems like the season was just ending in November and it was going to be like, wow, I'm going to have December, January and a couple of weeks in February to get so much more done on the weekends. That didn't really happen and it's back. NASCAR is back. had a eventful weekend and a lot of rain. So there was supposed to be a truck race on Friday night, which they did get in. And then there was supposed to be an Xfinity race on Saturday, rained out. Everybody knew the rain was coming into Daytona. And Sunday, the Daytona 500 rained out for the first time in the history of these races. They ended up then having to do two, the Xfinity race, which is their AAA, and then their big race, the Daytona 500, on Monday. I guess luckily it was President's Day. Maybe some of those people didn't have to go to work that had seats in the grandstands. So it was a long Monday. But Daytona Racing, very much like Talladega Racing, two of the largest tracks that the NASCAR series run on have the tendency to cause wreck after wreck after wreck. You might hear somebody that's a NASCAR fan talking about the big one when it comes to Daytona or Talladega, and they're talking about the big wreck. This has been going on for years due to the way racing works on these super speedways. Kind of started back in the 80s when restrictor plates came in because. Left unfettered, race car teams kept building race cars that went faster and faster and faster. I think Bill Elliott still holds the pole speed record for Daytona. And man, I should have checked this, but I think it was like 212 miles an hour, which got to the point to where NASCAR was like, well, that may be a little bit too fast. And since it was going to annoy me, I went to look. Bill Elliott holds the NASCAR Daytona track record at 210.364 miles an hour in 1987. It was his lap around Talladega that was a little bit faster than that at 212.8 miles an hour. And that also back in 1987. So this shows where the speeds were getting a little bit out of control. 210 miles an hour. Best lap around. This time, the pole winning speed, Joey Logano here in 2024, 181.9 miles an hour. So 182 miles an hour as opposed to back in 1987 when Bill Elliott was pushing that another 30 miles an hour faster than they're doing now. I mean, they're still doing crazy fast speeds. But once these Speeds began to climb up, up, up in the 80s and into the 90s. They started doing things to slow the cars down. And once you put restrictor plates on the cars, which is the thing in the engine back in the olden days, they actually put a piece to restrict the flow of the fuel and everything. So the car just could not go as fast. And it turns out once you start slowing all the cars down, they race in a big pack because on super large tracks, you have a big effect from the air. Drafting is a thing. If you've ever ever been on the expressway and you start coming up behind a semi, all of a sudden you might be keeping your foot on the gas at the exact same percentage, but all of a sudden you're creeping up because that big old truck is breaking the air for you. Your car has less resistance in the air. Thus, it is speeding up even at the same amount of gas being applied into the engine. And that's what happens on these super speedways. And as such, when you start restricting them, it ends up being a huge pack and it's two or three lanes. And that's all you got. Nobody ever really breaks out in front of the pack because you can do that for like 12 seconds before everybody then catches up to you and puts you back to the end because there's nowhere for you to go, which is why a lot of people are not big fans of the super speedway racing. Because if you've ever turned on a Daytona 500 and you're like, wow, why are all 35 cars basically, you could throw a blanket over them no matter what time you're turning the race on, whether it's lap one or the final lap, usually. You're going to find a big old pack of cars all running together unless it's at the end. Then lately, you don't have 36 cars left at the end of these races. And that is becoming an issue. USA Today ran an article on this saying, quote, with crashes involving over 70% of the cars in events like the Daytona 500, Xfinity Truck and Arca Series races, it exposes a continued and serious problem within NASCAR's governing approach, and it's an issue that grows more and more concerning. This is not just a minor issue, but a recurring nightmare that has loomed over Daytona and its counterpart Talladega for years, end quote. Again, both super speedways, both have cars running very close to each other, and when you have cars running really close to each other, And somebody bobbles and makes a mistake, then a lot of cars get taken out because, like running on an expressway, everybody has seen news stories. Uh, Hopefully, you've never been involved in one, but you'll see news stories of like, wow, 36 cars in a highway pileup because all of a sudden something happens and everybody's tailgating and running really close to the car in front of them. And there's just not enough time to make a change to stop the car. Before you end up running into the car in front of you. And it's a very dangerous sport, no question about it. Dale Earnhardt lost his life at Daytona in 2001. Oddly, if you go back and YouTube it, the wreck didn't look all that bad. There's been wrecks that have looked way worse, including Jeff Bodine the year before in 2000, the first time the trucks ran on the high banks of Daytona, Jeff Bodine wrecked the truck in a manner that if you go back and watch it, and I don't recommend it for anybody who is squeamish, but knowing that he came away with only minor injuries, if that makes it a little bit easier, YouTube, the Jeff Bodine 2000 Craftsman Truck Series crash, and you'll be amazed that he's still alive. The truck basically disintegrated. And again, this was the first time they had ever put those trucks on the track. And every year they get better with the technology to do things like, well, wait, if one of these cars gets out of control, the last thing they want it to do is leave the ground. So they have invented things like flaps, like you would see on an airplane with these cars. If it gets to the point to where they start getting in a position, you know, sideways that flaps come up and do what they can to keep the car on the ground. They've done a lot more with reinforcing the bodies of these cars. It's more than just the simple roll gauge they used to put into NASCAR when it was actually stock car racing. I mean, they still call it stock car racing. But back when the cars had a lot more in common with the cars you could just buy right off the lot, And they just added some safety features to it. They've come a long way with the safety aspect on these cars, but it is still a very dangerous sport. And running at the highest speeds, all bunched together, does cause issues. Continuing on with this USA Today article, quote, The rain-delayed weekend at Daytona spiraled into an affair filled with wrecks and crashes, underscoring the nature of the current racing environment. When nearly 80 out of the 114 cars experienced incidents, it's evidence that high-speed racing is transformed into a demolition derby. Such widespread vehicle attrition is neither viable nor in line with NASCAR's emphasis on competitive racing. The end of Monday's Daytona 500 was yet another example of what is becoming a bigger and bigger concern for fans and drivers alike, end quote. I think that's absolutely accurate. Most fans, unlike what you're going to hear, "Ah, they just go to watch the wrecks. No, most fans, if you're a real fan of racing, you want to see the drivers pushing the limits but you want to see the races finishing. You want to see your favorite driver finishing the race. I mean, I waited for months. I was like, oh, I'm finally going to get to see my girl, Haley Deegan. She moved from the truck series where she had a really hard time. She had been very successful with cars in the Arca series. So moving up to the Xfinity series, I was excited to see what she could do and was taken out in an early wreck at Daytona. That's no fun. There's a lot of people if their favorite driver is out At lap 10, they're just turning the TV off, and that's not going to be good for ratings. They don't want to show up at the track if they don't think their favorite driver is going to finish. So I think the concept that NASCAR fans want to see the wrecks, not really true. I mean, it's a spectacle, no doubt about it. And it's become fairly expected at Daytona to the point where drivers look at Daytona as a crapshoot it's not who's gonna have the best car it's not who is the best driver it's gonna be who is the luckiest driver on that particular day and there's a certain amount of that's kind of cool there's a lot of times drivers who have never won before end up being champions of the daytona 500 or at talladega i was very surprised this is a very hard race to predict and a couple of days before the Daytona 500, and then it was, of course, pushed back a day, but offthepress.com, the site I tell you not to go to because it's all AI and it still is all AI, but they had a very weird article a couple of days before the Daytona 500, which was predicting that William Byron was going to win the race. He has never won the Daytona 500. He's a very good driver. Driving in the car that Jeff Gordon got out of a few years ago, the 24 car for Hendrick Motorsports, who is was 40 years old as of Monday. Yeah, it just happened that that was the car that won the race. I don't know how the AI maybe is really good at predicting insanity because it was a 16 to one shot that William Byron was going to win that race. But off the press was like, nope, William Byron predicted to win and I'm like, "Well, that's weird. Why are you predicting somebody to win the race and then when it was him? Well, that just makes me feel like we're living in the matrix or something weird, like some kind of computerized simulation." Maybe AI is good at something. I don't know. But don't, don't do not start going to use AI and asking him who's going to win things and then hoping that it'll be right and you'll make money because you probably won't. But I don't know what the answer is in order to remove the wreckfest. Concept at Daytona and Talladega because the only way to do that is to separate the cars on the track to get rid of the big pack racing, which means you either have to let the cars go faster again, you have to have a difference in how fast each car can go, you're going to have to lose, which I don't think NASCAR is ever going to do. The one thing NASCAR has done with this most recent car is try to minimize. What the teams can do with the cars. They want them to be more cookie cutter. They want the concept to be more like, let's see what the driver can do rather than what the team can do to cheat it up, to get within the rules, to not get caught, whatever it is. But as long as you have all of the cars that are fairly equal, once you get into a super speedway and drafting becomes a thing, they're all going to race in a pack. One thing I think they should definitely do is get rid of the stage. Break cautions and NASCAR, which is one of the things a lot of the true people, the long timers, hated when NASCAR came up with this concept, which was put into place, I get it, to keep these drivers going at full speed the whole race because it was for a while getting to the point, well, some of the best drivers around would just lay around in the back You don't really have to race until the end of the race because the only thing that matters is the end of the race, kind of like watching an NBA game. You know you can turn on an NBA game within the last two minutes and see 98% of the action. Same thing was going on with NASCAR. The teams were laying back. They were using strategy like, well, we only have to really go at the end. And NASCAR didn't like that, so they started giving points for about a third of the way in and about two-thirds of the way in or however they change. Every race is a little bit different, but that gives you an idea. Well, you get points if you're running up front at the first break. You get points if you're running up front at the second break. And then, of course, you get a lot more points if you win. But at the end of the year, those stage break points, well, they can be very important on whether or not you make the postseason. The thing they stopped doing on some of them last year during the road course races was when you got to the stage break. They've been throwing cautions, which means everybody comes in, they get to the pitch, but this keeps bunching up the field. The last thing you want to do on a super speedway is continue to bunch up the field. So one thing you might want to try, even though they're probably going to all come back together eventually, stopping the artificial cautions at a super speedway might help. And they might actually have to do something different with the cars in order to try to make them. Separate, you know, not run as well if they're that close. But this, the way you get speed is you have to have one, two, three people pushing behind you all in a row, bumpers coming together. Can you imagine doing that on the expressway? You'd be so scared at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour if the guy behind you was bumping you and the guy behind him was bumping him and you're all just pushing along. This is what they do in these cars and the trucks are even worse. Not good. If you ever watch these replays, especially from An in car camera, you see just how much these cars are bouncing around left to right while doing 180, 190 miles an hour. It is not a comfortable feeling, I'm sure, to be in one of those race cars, which also then leads to the fact that if there is a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a bobble, then this is why bad things happen because they are all running right in a small pack. And while I get the point of this writer at the USA Today, I think the main problem is the track. They're too big, and this leads to this kind of racing. And I don't know if there's really anything you can do except to let the drivers continue to go faster. And even at that point, with the cars so equal now, you'd probably just be running in a pack at even 30 miles an hour faster, which of course would be even less safe. And I don't see the crown jewel, Daytona Motor Speedway, going away anytime soon. People have been working on this problem for decades. Nobody's come up with a solution as of yet. So if you have one, this could be a million or billion dollar idea. If You can figure out a way for these cars not to run in packs, but still be competitive and get a good racing package out on the track. Call NASCAR. You will make a lot of money guaranteed. And you need a lot of money if you want to buy food. Oh, my goodness. Just did my grocery shopping this morning online. The first thing that jumped out to me was like eggs doubled in price from last week. Very weird. Although last week or two weeks ago, the eggs came in the normal package, but they were brown eggs instead of white eggs. Not that that matters all that much, but it told me there was some kind of shortage or something going on with our store brand eggs. Easter coming, of course, nobody uses eggs for Easter. Nothing to worry about in Biden's America but this is being uh, highlighted in a Wall Street Journal article. I believe this was food prices at their highest in 30 years. Eating continues to cost more, the article says, even as overall inflation has eased from the blistering pace consumers endured throughout much of 2022 and 2023. Prices at restaurants and other eateries were up 5.1% last month. Compared with January of 2023, while grocery costs increased 1.2% during the same period, labor department data shows. Continues on saying relief isn't likely to arrive soon. Restaurant and food company executives are saying they're still grappling with the rising labor costs. Thanks, Joey. And some ingredients, such as cocoa, that are only getting more expensive. Customers, they said, will find ways. To cope, quote, from Steve "Hey Helene, I'm probably butchering that, chief executive officer of snack giant Kelanova. never heard of them, said, quote, if you look historically after periods of inflation, there's really no period you can point to where food prices go back down. They tend to be sticky, end quote, which is part of the problem with all of this. Inflation. And of course, there's a supply and demand. But a lot of times when prices go up, they never come back down. They pointed out that 30 years ago, people were spending about 11% of their budget per week on food. And it's about the same now. But of course, everything's going up, going up, going up. And right now, with the prices, like I said, eggs, which not that long ago, here we're like three seventy nine for two dozen, now up to about uh, six bucks. I think it was for two dozen, maybe six seventy nine. Absolutely insane when you see the prices that you had been paying, and that's why I like doing the shopping online. Although you could save your receipts and digitize them, I would highly recommend you do that if you don't like shopping online, and then go back and just flip through those receipts. And see, hey, what was I paying last year for a dozen eggs? What was I paying last year for a carton of almond milk or whatever it is? And see where they are at today when people want to tell you the Biden economy is doing a good job. Joe, Morning Joe over at MSNBC wants to tell you to look at your 401k. I mean, you know how many people have 401ks? Morning Joe. More people don't than do. So if you're like, hey, just look at your board, uh, just look at your 401k, their uh, Biden economy is doing really, really good. It's not because the average person is walking into the grocery store and going, I can't afford this anymore. You got a few kids and they're like, we want some snacks. You're like, can't afford it. Sorry. I mean, maybe they're pushing you. Maybe they're nudging you. Glenn Beck warned us a decade or two ago that they're just going to push you. They don't want you eating all that bad food. They don't want you drinking them sugary drinks. It's all just going to be pushed in the direction, so you will no longer be able to buy them. And you're seeing that right now. I mean, we were told it was the uh, Putin price hike. Remember that? Nobody was really buying that, I don't think. if you. I mean, although a lot of people will buy into the insanity. A lot of people do buy into the lies. And that's probably not going to change anytime soon, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this, again, from the Wall Street Journal article, quote, in 1991, U.S. consumers spent 11.4% of their disposable income on food, according to data from the U.S. Agricultural Department. At the time, households were still dealing with steep food price increases following an inflationary period during the 1970s. More than three decades later, food spending has retained that level, USDA data shows. In 2022, consumers spent 11.3% of their disposable income on food. And food inflation has raised the ire of President Joe Biden, who took to Instagram during the Super Bowl. Does anybody believe this? Does anybody believe Joe Biden was sitting around during the Super Bowl going, hey, maybe I should go on Instagram and talk about snacks? Yeah, come on, Wall Street Journal. But it says, he took the to Instagram during the Super Bowl to blast food makers that he said were providing less bang for consumers bucks, putting fewer chips in each bags or shrinking the size of ice cream containers. Well, we know. We know Joey would be mad if the ice cream container got smaller. The Biden Instagram post said, quote, The American public is tired of being played for suckers. <laughs> yeah, but you're still president. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. The Joe Biden quote said, Joey, I don't think he knows what shrinkflation is. I don't think he knows what planet he is on. The American public is being played for suckers. So this is the Biden administration, whichever moron that is his mouthpiece on Instagram, blaming the people that make the snacks for trying to mitigate issues that they are having now thanks to joey biden's policies it is absolutely insane people are now sitting like well my kids want some snacks what should i do i don't know can't afford it and then a lot of times what this does people just start eating worse foods not that they're going to stop eating people are still hungry so they're going to start eating more garbage foods they're going to start eating more rice this is why and i like them there's a frozen Chinese brand, Taipei. They do not use MSG, so that's good for me. So if I want just a little quick Chinese fix, they're perfect for lunch and they're cheap. They come in a little round container, kind of looks like a Chinese food container, and they've been on sale for three bucks a pop. This is what people are going to start doing, like rather than having other more healthy alternatives. Well, let's get the mainly rice then added with a couple little pieces of sweet and sour chicken or whatever it is, fried rice, that people are going to start eating less healthy foods because the more healthy food, if you look at things like eggs and you're like, ooh, organic eggs or fancy organic eggs, and the prices just can go up to what, 10 bucks a dozen now, maybe more with this latest increase. It's really hard to fit this kind of stuff into the budget and eat healthy. So, Joey, thanks for all of the uh, food prices going up. I'm I'm so glad you're going after the companies that are putting less chips or less ice cream in the container because it's a ripoff. Well, it's a ripoff because you have devalued the money, old man. You have caused the problem going after the oil companies from day one. You're an idiot, Joey. No doubt about it. You're an idiot. And people who think the Joe Biden economy is good, idiots. And the people, again, who think Joe Biden is doing a good job and the Biden economy is good are the ones that are watching MSNBC and listening to morons like Morning Joe or Brian Tyler Cohen. I brought a clip of him over to Planet Rage, the show I do with my buddy Larry Blydner every week. And I brought a clip. Of this buffoon who was bringing a clip of Donald Trump saying, you know, they don't understand when I say Obama instead of Biden or when I instead of saying Nancy Pelosi, I say Nikki Haley. I interpose those names, he said, in order, you know, for comedy. It's funny. I don't like either one of them. I'm making a point. I am interposing those names for a purpose. And this idiot, Brian Tyler Cohen or whatever his name is, came back and he's like, oh, Donald Trump's such a moron. I don't, I don't know what word he thinks he's uh, using uh, there, but, uh, you know, that, that ain't it. Like Donald Trump doesn't know what the word interpose means. And he went off for a long time about how stupid Donald Trump was for using some word. I don't know if the, uh, Brian Tyler Cohen or whatever his name is doesn't know. That interpose is a word, or that Donald Trump was using it correctly because he was. But this is how bad it has gotten that these liberal, progressive pundits will go out there and lie, spread the mistruths, whatever you want to call it, be 100% wrong. And this, it was just even. And more insane when they're making fun of somebody for using the wrong word when the guy in the first place was using the right word in the right way. But do you think anybody in his audience caught that? Do you think anybody in his audience even took two seconds to go to their phone, which everybody has right in front of their face 24 hours a day? Do you think anybody went to the phone and went, Can you give me a definition of interpose? Do you think they asked Chat GPT? Because I did. And Chat GPT's like, Yep, that absolutely makes sense. Interpose means to change one name for another, often for anonymity. So if you're reading a report or something and it says Jane Doe instead, blah, 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 well, they put Jane Doe instead of the real name there. And what you would call that would be interposing the name. Donald Trump was 100% right. This guy was 100% wrong. But this is the mentality. This is why you have to do your own homework. This is why you have to understand. What they're doing to you in all sorts of places, and it's not just the left, the right does it as well, you have to be very careful. You have to have your BS radar finely tuned at all time and verify as much as you can. I can tell you if I was a normal viewer fan of this guy, I would never watch any of his content ever again because it shows he's either an imbecile or an outright liar in either way. I don't want to get my news from an imbecile or an outright liar. And that's absolutely what this guy is. When you come out and make fun of Donald Trump for using a word incorrectly, when it was being used 100% correctly, not, not even a slight chance that it wasn't, but these are the kind of lies that get spread. These are the kind of lies that nobody checks because people's brains are mush. They don't want to do the homework themselves. They don't want to even do anything to try to verify that the information they're getting is correct. And it's just downright sad. And one final story. We've all been wondering who will be Donald Trump's VP. And a lot of people have been guessing. There've been a lot of people are like, well, he's definitely got to have a woman or he's definitely got to have a woman of color. We got to play the Democrat game. We have to check boxes based upon somebody's sex or based upon somebody's skin color. No, that's not really the Donald Trump way. He was doing a little bit of a town hall where he said uh, he really wants to debate Joey. He wants to do a lot of debates with Joey. He's calling Joey out for the debates, which, as I know, a little bit ironic Since Nikki Haley was calling him out for the debates and he didn't want to debate Nikki Haley, this is a weird political situation as well when the candidates just don't want to debate for various reasons. But Donald Trump was asked about his preferred running mate for the upcoming election. And it seems like it is now a short list that consists of Vivek Ramaswamy, Governor Ron DeSantis. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, former Hawaiian Rep Tulsi Gabbard, and Florida Representative Byron Donalds. Laura Ingraham asked him if that was the shortlist. He said, yes. I would say I would probably lean towards Vivek. If I was thinking dynasty from Donald Trump, if he thinks he's going to win, Vivek would be a guy that can continue on for another eight years in very much the MAGA vein. The most interesting, of course, would be Tulsi Gabbard because Trump needs help with women. I mean, I don't know if he needs help with women, but in the voting, he needs help with women. And Tulsi is a very interesting candidate, especially since she was very recently a Democrat and decided to bail out. So she would bring maybe a little bit more sanity to the party, although I like Christy Nome too. So I would guess it's all going to depend on what the Donald is looking for. I think he would do a little bit better with females. If he goes with Christy Nome or Tulsi Gabbard. But Vivek, Vivek is the most Trump out of all of those. So it'll be interesting to see who gets that slot. As we wait to find out, I want to thank you for listening to the Random Thoughts podcast. It is a value for value show. I put the shows out there. They're not behind a paywall. If you've gotten any value out of this show whatsoever, you can put a number on that. Go over to randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com, slash donate. You can click the donate button for a one-time or monthly PayPal donation. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses to do the crypto thing. You can use the P.O. box address if you want Uncle Sam to handle it. And if you are on a podcasting 2.0 app, you can boost us, send us a boost They're all valid ways, and they're all very much appreciated to help us keep the lights on the web hosting going. I saw the web hosting renews again at the end of this year, like another 500 bucks. For three years. So it's not bad. Three years, about 500 bucks. But the web hosting is not free. Nothing is free in this world. Especially a dozen eggs right now. And again, thank you, Joey. But I have only uh, really one person to thank today. And that is Dale Jr. For coming in with his 100 Satoshis per minute. That is a beautiful way to sustain the shows. Is to get involved in the podcasting 2.0 thing. Go over to newpodcastapps.com. And that way it is just a sustaining support that is always there. I mean, the big ones are nice. The big boost. I, did, I think there was a boost also, I'm sorry, from Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley. It's always nice to get the big donations, don't get me wrong. But if everybody was in the podcasting 2.0 environment and just send a little bit every minute that they listen to their favorite shows, it would keep them around a long time. And beyond just the monetary thing, it's beautiful to see those names that pop up that you know people are listening to the show. As podcasters, we don't really expect to make a lot of money, but it is very nice. And it's an ego boost a little bit, but more than anything else, it is an encouragement to continue to put the content out there. So if you can support your favorite shows, podcasting 2.0 is a great way to do it. And if you can afford it here in Joey's economy, go over to randomthoughts.com slash donate and keep this show going. With that said, I plan on being back for another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast next week. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.